Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We continue in our sermon series, Sound Doctrine in the Church. We're in 1 Timothy. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. Timothy is a young pastor. The Apostle Paul is giving him instruction because there are problems in the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we transition to the proclamation of your word, I pray that we can allow your Holy Spirit to convict us of your truth as we get into your truth this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share this from Deuteronomy 25. Most of us have heard this before. We may not exactly know or understand what it may mean, but Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 says this, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Now, some of us have heard this, but what does it actually mean? What does it mean when we say, Do not muzzle an ox when it's out there treading out the grain? See, the ox wants to eat as it works, but the ox is working to produce food for the one that is actually guiding and controlling the ox. So it's saying, allow the ox to enjoy, to reap the spoils of its work. That's basically what this means. So if somebody's working, they deserve a wage, perhaps. They need to be compensated. But in this case, the ox deserves a meal too, especially since the ox is providing the meal for everybody else. See, brothers and sisters, in the church, unfortunately, oftentimes, it's the leadership that actually gets muzzled. Now, you wouldn't think that, would you? You would think that the leadership are the ones calling the shots, but that's not always the case. You, that's right, you, can muzzle the leadership of a church. especially as the leadership is doing as we see in our text this morning, as we just saw in Deuteronomy 25, especially as the leadership is treading out the grain. As believers, though, I believe that there are four ways that we can avoid muzzling our leaders. If we just stick to these four things, I think that we can actually avoid this altogether. See, first, we need to support our leaders. And we go to 1 Timothy 5.17 for that. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That's from our text today. That is right there in our text today. The second would be to actually love our leaders. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The third thing that we can do for our leaders within the church, our elders, because our elders are the spiritual leaders of the church, would be to love them. Actually, excuse me, that's the second thing. The third thing to do would be to pray for them. Romans 15 Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So be praying for your leaders. 
Now, another thing that we could be doing for our leaders is to follow their lead, right? Because after all, if they're leaders, we should be following their lead. If you're here at Villa's Grace Church, the four elders here at Villa's Grace should set the tone for you to follow. Obey your leaders, Scripture tells us. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for what would be of no advantage to you. Now, as we've said all this, we need to get into the title of our sermon this morning because all this pertains to that title. Leadership in the church. Leadership in the church. This morning, we're going to finish Chapter 5 in 1 Timothy, meaning we only have one more chapter to go. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. But before we do that, we cannot forget that last week we were encouraged to know that the Lord has compassion on widows, because we talked about widows last week, didn't we? And we know that He has compassion on widows, and He uses the widow's family and the church to do that. So if the family is unable to take care of the widow, then the church needs to step in. But the church only steps in if that's the case, because in an ideal situation, the family is there to take care of the widow. However, it is only necessary to do this if that is the case. So we need to keep that in mind and not always to think that the burden needs to be placed on the church. Mind you, kind of the same is true for the leaders of the church as well. Because some of us kind of, you know, get ahead of ourselves and start thinking that the leadership of the church must do everything. Like you just show up here and we just do it all for you. That's not the church. The church doesn't work like that. In fact, I'll give you one quick example this morning to encourage you in that. Doing communion the way we did it this morning, we used to historically do it two times a year. We have now decided we're going to do it once per quarter, but that was a suggestion made by one of you. One of you got the ball rolling in that direction. See, you're not just relying on the leadership of the church to carry the full burden. The leadership leads, but you can help in that process. What you're going to see today is some pretty amazing stuff. And you're going to see exactly why we're saying what we're saying right now as we get through this text this morning. Because today Paul is basically going to outline to Timothy how to manage church leaders. So let's see him do that. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder on except the evidence of two or three witnesses. For as those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of brothers. Keep yourself pure. Do not be hasty in the laying on of those hands. No longer only drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Amen. 
as we look specifically at just the first two verses this morning, verses 17 and 18, we see the term elders. An elder is anybody who is a pastor or an overseer of a church. I believe anybody qualified to be an elder is a pastor. Overseers have authority and leadership, and that's what we need to understand. They have authority and leadership within the church. Now, all elders are to be honored. That is a given. All elders should be honored. All of your leaders in the church, you should be showing them honor, but some you should actually be showing double honor. See, these are elders revealing a high level of commitment. Brothers and sisters, how should we honor our elders? And that's really the question. I mean, we're being told to honor our elders, but how is it? How should we be honoring the leadership of the church? First and foremost, I believe that our leadership should be paid a fair wage. Not too little, not too much, just enough. And according to the diligence of their labor, not all will actually receive monetary compensation. But according to the diligence of their labor should determine what they actually get paid, but don't expect all leadership to get paid. We have four leaders here at Villa's Grace Church. Three of the four are actually paid. There are going to be lay leaders who do not receive compensation from the church, but yet they still are leaders. And we see this clearly from Scripture. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So if somebody's taking time, to study the Word, to deliver the Word to you, you should be sharing all good things back with them. That is one way in which you can show honor towards your leaders. Now, the second thing that we can do is to show respect through obedience. Elders have a tremendous responsibility in the church. They are our example of Jesus Christ We should be following that lead. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Brothers and sisters, nothing can be more frustrating to the leadership of a church than when sheep do not obey their shepherd's voice. Now, let me get something clear here. I'm not the chief shepherd. Pastor Jared is not the chief shepherd. Pastor Steve, yeah, you guessed it, you're right, he's not the chief shepherd. Pastor Israel is not the chief shepherd. I just listed all four elders here at Villa's Grace. None of us are the chief shepherd. What we are, though, are under shepherds, meaning Jesus is the king of kings. He's the chief shepherd. We are his under-shepherd. You follow us as we follow Jesus. We are called to be obedient to the voice that he has, correct? My sheep hear my voice. We are called to obey him. Therefore, he uses the leadership here for you to have an example up front and in your life. And that's what the church family should be doing, right? We should be doing life together. We don't just show up on Sunday and then go about our merry way and maybe not even know people within the church. No, the church should be doing life together. We should be structured in such a way that we don't just get together on Sundays. 
See, we can show up here and fake it until we make it. Go for it. You could fool me for a long time. You could make a career of fooling me. You could go decades fooling me, fooling others, and especially fooling yourself. But you know who you can't fool? You want to know where the rubber actually meets the road? At home. You can't fool your wife. You can't fool your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. They're the ones who truly know you. As we contemplate these two ways to honor elders, remember, do not muzzle an ox that's treading. I don't want to be muzzled as I'm leading you spiritually. That's going to be really frustrating. If you're being called to be obedient, and it's my job to make sure you're being obedient, and the same goes for all the leaders here at Villa's Grace, the last thing that we want to be is hindered in that process. I can guarantee you this, our leadership here is working. I'm not saying that we're there yet. I don't think you ever arrive in life. But one of our goals is to get stronger each and every day to get on the same page so we all have each other's backs so we can be as effective as possible. Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit more, too, because it doesn't mean that we rule with an iron fist, and you're going to see a little bit more about that. But in order for elders to enjoy the fruits of their labor, it's not about just receiving money. It's to see spiritual growth. We must not pay them a fair wage if we don't want to see them the fruit of their labor, but it's not all about that. It has much more to do with being obedient and seeing spiritual growth. That's what's important. We need to be compensated along the way, but the best and greatest compensation that we will ever receive as leaders of the church is to see you grow spiritually, to see you continually grow in Christ. We must be obedient to our leaders. We must obey them as they follow the Lord and share the gospel with us. Finally, we must respect the effort put into the study and delivery of God's Word. That is very important. There's a high conviction here of that. That's why you see us go through books of the Bible. That's why probably the last four or five sermons that we've preached here, and probably the next couple of sermons coming the next couple of weeks are sermons that you would never hear in other churches. Now, there are churches out there that would definitely preach what we're preaching. But there's a slew of churches that would never preach what we're preaching. Especially with some of the things that are going to be shared with us today from Paul to Timothy. The leadership actually doesn't want to be so vulnerable. We haven't got there yet, but we're about ready to. So really, what this comes down to is this, and this is really our first point this morning. It's very simple. Honor your elders. Honor your elders. Elders. So as we move along to verse 19, we must remember something in Scripture. Some, some of these men who have led before that we see. Namely, Joseph, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, and even Jesus himself. All of these men have something in common. And what they have in common is the fact that they all suffered persecution. Each and every one of them. Even the most upright, God-fearing, godly man will be attacked by false allegations. John MacArthur says this. I wanted to just read what he wrote word for word. 
It is a sacred trust to be in the ministry. That trust is based upon a man's integrity, credibility, and the consistent purity of his life. If he can be successfully attacked at the point and discredited, his ministry will be destroyed. It is imperative that his people be able to distinguish gossip and lies from reality. Brothers and sisters, this is the flock protecting the under-shepherds. Because I can tell you right now, from experience, from experience, from experience, that slander and gossip goes on, and we need to be very careful not to participate. It isn't always the shepherd protecting the flock. Sometimes the flock needs to protect the shepherd as well. So how do we apply this here at VG? Well, first, any unproven or unverified accusation needs to be ignored. If you hear some gossip on an accusation that is unverified, ignore it. Why would you spin it and keep it alive? Just simply ignore it. At the very least, we see in the text it says two or three witnesses must testify. So you must have two or three witnesses that have seen the exact same thing. Brothers and sisters, exercise caution when accusing an elder. It's really that simple. If you want to bring a charge against the leadership of the church, you better exercise caution. You better make sure that it's verified, and you better make sure it's verified by two or three witnesses. God's Word tells us this in Psalm 105, 15. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Be very cautious when bringing an accusation against an elder. And this brings us to our second point this morning. Defend your elders. Defend your elders. See, just because we are to defend our elders, it doesn't mean they're immune to prosecution. This is where the rubber meets the road here. See, just because you're being called to protect and defend your elders, it doesn't mean that they get a free pass. It doesn't mean that they're just able to run amok and do whatever it is that they want to do without any consequences to their sinful behavior. No, it does not mean that at all. Not even close. Also, rebuking an elder in sin is not the same as muzzling an ox that's treading grain. And what we mean by that is this. See, you shouldn't muzzle an ox when it's out treading grain if it's actually out treading grain. But if you know of an elder in a church, in your church, who is in sin, you have every right to address that sin, as long as you go through the proper channels, as long as it's verified, right? And then on that verification, you have two or three witnesses. 
And I said, I know from example, because I have personally, Pastor Steve has, Pastor Israel has, Pastor Jared has. We've all dealt with accusations from others, and there's no verification and no witnesses. And I will go out on a limb and say this, every single time we've called that out, and we've done it with witnesses, what do you think happens with the accuser? They don't stick around, they leave. I told you the leadership here will be on the same page. But not to the point to where we are above the law. If we are in sin, verify. Then make sure you have two or three witnesses, and then you can go about the proper channels that you need to go through. As for those who persist in sin, what does it say? It says rebuke them. So it's amazing to me that Paul's telling Timothy kind of on this first half, like you need to hold the flock, the sheep accountable. Now he's transitioning. Now he's saying the sheep need to hold you accountable. Again, rebuke means to express disapproval or reprimand somebody for doing something they shouldn't be doing. Here, sin is used in a general sense. So it's any sin that would disqualify an elder. And you know that previously in 1 Timothy, we went through all the qualifications of what it is that a man needs to uphold in order to be an elder, a leader in the church. So it's really anything that we see that goes against God's word, where God says this, this, and this qualifies a man to be a leader within the church. If we see that man in sin that is preventing him from being that leader, then we need to speak up. Then we need to hold them accountable. What are some of these things? Well, we know from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, a godly man has more than one wife. He's no longer qualified. He must be a one-woman man. If he's not sober-minded, that would disqualify him. If he's not self-controlled, that would disqualify him. Considered a drunkard, yeah, he's disqualified. Or he's considered to be violent, quarrelsome, or a lover of money. Right there are all the disqualifications that we would see of somebody who should not be in church leadership. Church, when two or three witnesses... Any elder committing anything that would disqualify him from being an elder, a leader of the church, what does it say here in the text? What does it say that we're to do? It says, rebuke them in the presence of all. Don't get on the phone. Don't get in your little holy huddle and just start talking and gossiping about what you see. You better be able to bring that accusation in front of everybody. You have the right to do it in front of everybody. A sinning elder should be rebuked in front of the whole church. And there's a reason for that. Elders who serve with honor should be defended. And we know that, right? Because we've already have established that. Elders who serve in sin are to be removed and publicly rebuked. And there are two reasons why. So first, you defend a godly elder, but you rebuke one who is in sin. And there's two reasons why. What does it say right here? It says, so that the rest may stand in fear from sinning. If you can go to a church, if you're involved in a church where the pastoral team saying, I am not free, I am not above 
prosecution. You can prosecute me if it is necessary. That should bring you great comfort because it shows you that the leadership is committing or committed to following Jesus. And if you see leadership that's committed to following Jesus, then you know you can follow them as they follow him. God protects his church, not the man. Every time. So, if God doesn't protect the man, who am I? He's not going to protect me if you find me in sin. No. If you find me to be in sin, God's word right here is telling you, have evidence, two or three more witnesses, and then bring it out in front of everybody. Let everybody know. Don't just sweep it underneath the rug. After all, verse 21 makes it abundantly clear. What does it say? In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Brothers and sisters, look at that verse. You know what that's saying? That's saying that all of heaven is watching, so let not the church's reputation be tarnished where its witness actually matters. Our witness actually matters in eternity. Don't tarnish our, relation, our, our reputation in all of eternity by the way in which we handle sin now. No one, as it says, should receive any partiality whatsoever. So with that being said, it brings us to our third point, which is very simple as well. Rebuke your elders. Rebuke your elders. Now, it doesn't mean just go out and rebuke to rebuke. I think we are pretty clear on that. But if you have evidence and if you have the appropriate witnesses, you are called biblically to rebuke your elders. As we move to the final verses this morning, we see it say, the laying on of hands. And this is actually what happens when a newly elected elder is established. Notice how Paul begins, do not be hasty. Do not be hasty. See, he's encouraging Timothy to do a thorough investigation. He's saying, don't just be hasty in the laying on of hands. Don't just get the tallest, best-looking guy that you see walk through the door and just, you know, make him an elder automatically because of superficial reasons. Don't be hasty. Take your time. He's actually encouraging Timothy to do this investigation by saying, nor take part in the sins of others. See, really what he's saying here where it says, nor take part in the sins of others, he's really saying, don't inherit someone else's sin problem. Don't inherit somebody else's sin problem, especially when they inappropriately handled the situation beforehand. Because what does it say again? What did it, what did it tell us? What's our third point? Oh yeah, that's right. Rebuke your elders. So if there's evidence that an elder has sinned, and you have the appropriate witnesses, but then you just sweep that sin underneath the rug, you know, get it under there and put the rug down, and, you know, it's not going to be a problem anymore. You're wrong. See, what really happens most times when a sinning elder is found out, they just sweep it underneath the rug. And then they excuse maybe the pastor, and then he goes on to another church and does the exact same thing again. There are countless examples of that. Examples of 
pastor stole money from this church. Then he goes to another church, gets caught at the other church, and then they find out, oh, he was actually stealing from that church. Well, church A didn't appropriately reprimand him in the presence of all. They didn't appropriately rebuke him in the presence of all. So therefore, church B inherited church A's sin problem. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be accused of passing on our sin problems to others, do you? Again, brothers and sisters, the reason why this is actually important has nothing to do with our reputation. It has nothing to do with us as men or women in the church. It has everything to do with the fact that heaven is watching, so let not the church's reputation be tarnished where its witness actually matters. This life is but a vapor. We're here for a moment, then we're gone. It's like the steam coming up off a hot cup of coffee. The next time you have a nice, hot cup of coffee, just remember that little steam that comes off of it represents your life. Compare that to all of eternity, because eternity is what matters. Now, the end of verse 22 is connected to verse 23. See, in verse 22 and 23, Paul is not actually advocating asceticism, which is basically what it means to abstain from certain things. If you want to say somebody's practicing asceticism, that means that somebody's saying, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. I won't touch this and I won't touch that. The reason why Paul was being told to take just a little bit of wine for his stomach was because they didn't have the water sources that we have today. They didn't have the filtration process that we have today. Take a little bit of wine, mix with your water to make sure you don't succumb to dysentery. That's basically what Paul was saying there. So as Paul closes chapter 5, we have four ways here. Four ways to judge a godly man, because that's really what this comes down to. That's what you're being called to do. That is your job. How are you going to judge a godly man? How do you even know if a man is actually godly or not? So as we close this morning, let's just look at the end here. Our last verse, last two verses, and we can see exactly how we are to judge a godly man. First, what does it say? The sins of some people are conspicuous. The sins of some people are conspicuous. These are obvious sins. Some people, their sin is very obvious. They can't fake it until they make it. Our job as a church is to see, is there any obvious sin? That is the first step. The second step, what does it say? But the sins of others appear later. Again, do not be hasty. Take your time and observe any obvious sin that might actually be preceded by the man himself. What I mean by that is this. The man walks in the door first, establishes himself and his personality within the culture of the church, and then his sin starts to creep in. If we're not hasty and we allow time to take its course, we will be able to detect that sin that we need to maybe address or not address or maybe just say, hey, he's not qualified for leadership. The third thing we can do is found right here. It says, also, good works are conspicuous. So if sin can be conspicuous, good works can be too. Sometimes good works are just abundantly obvious. Sometimes we come in contact with somebody and immediately, like that, we start seeing 
good works. We start seeing fruit being produced. But sometimes it's not that easy, and we know that when it says, even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What that means is this. Good works are not always obvious. It's not always abundantly clear the fruit that's being produced within somebody's own personal ministry. But rest assured, if, again, we are not hasty, if we're not hasty, time will allow those good works to be revealed to us, therefore showing us he's a qualified man of God. He's qualified for leadership. What some of you men may or may not realize here at Villa's Grace Church is this. And I want to say this as an encouragement to you. Maybe you're actually being observed right now for leadership. Maybe the leaders of this church are already observing you. I can tell you right now with the group that we are here with today, as I look out to all of you, some of you, we have been quick to put you in some positions of leadership, not as elders, shall I say. Some of you, we would love to. We've taken our time. We've seen fruit being produced. Whether it's been quick or we're taking our time, regardless, it doesn't matter. All of us should strive to be in leadership. Again, do you want the current leadership to carry 100% of the burden? Do you want the current leadership to do 100% of the work? Even as I stand here now preaching God's word to you, I'm watching people get up out of their seat and leave. No, not because they're in disgust on what they hear from God's word this morning, but because they are serving the church. They are preparing a meal that we are about ready to have. This is a group effort, which is why I am so encouraged by what I'm seeing here in the text. I'm so encouraged that the leadership can hold you accountable, but I'm also encouraged that the Lord has established His church to allow His people, His sheep, to hold His under-shepherds accountable too. Help us observe godly men, and that is almost our fourth and final point. In the local church, what we are called to do, our fourth point this morning, choose godly elders. Choose godly elders. We should be a church that does exactly that. We choose men who are godly first and foremost. Church, I'm extremely encouraged I'm extremely encouraged by this text. I wouldn't want to be part of a cult. I mean, a cult is you listen to the leadership and do as they say. I don't want to be part of a cult. I want to be part of a team. I want us to take our role on this team more serious. Not to say that you're not taking your role serious. I believe most of us are. But we can all step up our game, can't we? And when we see one another step up our game, that encourages others to step up their game too, right? Championship teams are good because 
the players who aren't on the field support the ones who are, and they can fill in any vacancy that needs to be filled in. That's the church. And I'm going to end before I pray by allowing Miss Hallie to say it loud and proud. <laughs> With that being said, I'm going to end in prayer. I'm going to pray for our love feast that we're about ready to share together as it represents the marriage supper found in Revelation 19 and for us throughout the rest of this week. At this time, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to just be together in fellowship. I pray that we can encourage one another in you. Again, I never want to get away from praying that we become a church more and more each day that gets better and better at sharing your good news with others. At this time, I would also like to thank you for this meal that you have provided for us, namely as it represents our future wedding feast that we will have with you as your bride. You are our bridegroom as our Lord and Savior. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.